there's still stuff to learn from each other every single day if you open up and listen. And that's and that's how like I feel like love grows is like you you learn to love new parts and new like oh that's a cool idea I, and then it's like that's another cool part of you like and your brain is always growing with new ideas and you get to love new things every single day. So I love the communication, yeah, being vulnerable and communicating with each other as I never did as a kid. And now it's like, that was one of the hardest thing is like speaking and like, I was like, I don't want to let it out. But now it's like, there's so much relief in that. I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love. You are love. We are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Tim Frost is an author, speaker, and all-around good guy. The extremely hard times he faced while growing up may shock you, but what will blow you away is how incredible, loving, and beautiful he is. I have so much love and admiration for Tim. His son, Odin, is autistic and nonverbal. Their motto is, different is good, and I couldn't agree more. He says he has a type of love for Odin that he never knew existed until he was born. He also says two of the biggest things he attributes his life and growth to are his wife and his writing. All right, my buddy, Tim Frost, welcome to... Hey, hey, <laughs> thank you so much. Of course, man. Happy to have you here. Uh, excited just to learn more about you and your story, man. I know that... Um, you know, growing up, um, you had, uh, you know, a tough, um, childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw some just, uh, you know, things on, on, uh, on your site, um, just growing up homeless without a family, um, overdosing as a teenager. So what I'm really excited about Tim is because like who you are today, you know what I mean? And, oh, yeah, right? yeah. and how those sorts of experiences, even though I'm sure extremely difficult, um, during that time, uh, but just created the person that you are today, uh, who just, oh, yeah. right. seems like you're a lot about love and kindness, which is awesome. Um, so if you can just, um, just tell us a little bit about those experiences that you had, uh, while you were growing up. Yeah. So I didn't grow up in like a traditional home. Um, I guess what is traditional, um, but my very first memory is I was three years old and my mom um, came into the room and she tried to shoot me with a with a gun or the shotgun. Uh, my mom has uh, a lot of mental health issues. Um, and I didn't realize that as a kid, you know, like I, I didn't really know what was going on as a kid. Um, but I in that moment, it was so vivid. Like I remember every single detail about it, whatever I by grace, by miracle, by the universe, like something saved me that, that day. Um, and I started to kind of realize that things were a little, a little off, but not fully. Um, my father, I've still to this day, I've never met my dad. Don't know who he is. My mom doesn't know who he is. Um, no one really does. 
Uh, and so growing up without a father figure too, you know, like I, my mom would have girlfriend, maybe boyfriends over and that kind of thing. Um, and I would, you know, try to connect, you know, I would see father figures on TV and think, oh, that's cool. You know, but TV is like a 20 minute episode where, you know, everything wraps up nice in a bow at the end or whatever. And that's not real life or whatever. Um, my mom was also, she uh, was in an, a, an occult. She was a Satanist for probably 20 something years, 27 years. And so the people who did come over were like Satanists and there's all these rituals and this kind of like a very dark um, environment in our house. Um, and with that, you know, like I, I've seen a lot of very, very dark things. I have three brothers, <clears throat> all have different, different dads. Um, and my thing was, I was the youngest of all these of my siblings and I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, you know, be a part of this family. And, uh, I remember the very first time that I kind of felt connected. Um, I had woken up from a nap and my family wasn't in my house. I was like, where's my family? I'm looking at, like looking around. I was probably seven years old at this time. And I, I go outside and my mom and my three brothers are out there smoking weed on the trampoline. I, was, I don't know what they were doing. I thought they were just smoking cigarettes. And I was like, oh, let me, let me get up there. Let me get up there. And, uh, and so finally, like my mom's just tired of me like nagging. So she, you know, I got on the trampoline and seven years old, took my first, you know, hit of a joint. My brother's like, so going as hard as you can. You know, I'm obviously coughing at my little kid or whatever. And, and then with that, you know, like I, I did, I felt good. And we were all laughing on the trampoline. And I remember that moment. I was like, this is the, one of the first moments all four of us as a family had ever laughed and had like kind of joy, but it was a kind of faded joy. It was just like one of those like, oh, this is, it's not real. It's fabricated, um, but it felt real. And so with that, I, I started, you know, that was, became a nightly ritual. I smoked pot with my mom and my brother's you know, three or four or five times a week. And I, and I realized that the times that we didn't smoke um, were the times that my mom's mental illness would kind of come into play. And she, I would wake up with like her with a knife over my head or her with anything like, you know, like even something as crazy as like a can of tuna fish, you know, like the little lid, like she was, she in her mind knew that we all had to, they, they had to kill me and my brothers. And, and that was just something that she, struggle with mentally. Um, and I finally realized, okay, like she's trying to harm us and she would go off to mental institutions, um, like facilities to get help. And at this point around like eight years old, I have, I gained a stepfather and he was okay. He kept us kind of safe, but still kind of clueless at the same time. Um, he knew like if mom's meds were going off or she was going to a, to a place, to a dark place, he goes, Hey, you might want to stay somewhere else tonight, or you might want to hide. And so we do, we had a box that we stuck under our bed. We had, had everything sharp, everything metal, um, any, any stuff like that. And finally, like, you know, like, as I got older, I didn't have the same kind of friends, like 11, 12, I didn't have the same kind of friends that, uh, normal 12 year olds had I'm like, I met this guy that was friends with my mom and he was a drug dealer. And so basically what I, with him, I started delivering his weed and his cocaine and stuff like that for him in a backpack, you know, cause I'm an unsuspecting kid and in payment, he'd pay me in weed. And so, but with all that harder stuff, I started thinking like, Oh, maybe I should try some of this stuff. And I did at like 11, I started trying harder drugs. I, I started doing a lot of speed, a lot of hallucinogenics, LSD mushrooms, um, and we lived in East Texas. So meth was like, you know, it was a huge thing. And so I was, I was, I got very just tied up into all of that. Um, started to see how my family was slightly off and it started to make me angry. I was just like, I felt, I grew up like on my birth certificate, it says Timothy Andrew, there's no last name. Cause I didn't have one. I didn't have a father to, and so that put this kind of like am I worthless? Like, what, what is this? Like, I don't even have a name to call my own or whatever. And I started like, just getting like angry and like thinking like, why is my mom trying to hurt me? Um, and so that, that's where I was using the drugs to go to a place where I didn't feel those pains mm -hmm. and those hurts, uh, using that as a coping mechanism that and playing music. I started playing guitar when I was a very, very young. And so like, I could, I didn't know the words. I didn't have the vocabulary to speak 
the hurts and the pains that I was feeling. So I just get on my guitar and play six, seven, eight, eight hours, you know, just being just zonked out high on drugs, just playing music, feeling all that worthlessness. Um, and it finally came to a point where me and my mom got in a fight and I felt like, okay, I'm kind of growing up on my own. And so around 13 years old, I got in a fight with my mom and usually it's just yelling and cussing at each other, but I made the mistake of slapping her in the face. And when I did that, she just tore me a new one, man. She just beat me up and chunked me out on the street. And she said, don't you come back. And you know, at that point I was yelling and screaming, there's no way in hell I'd want to come back. I don't want to do this, blah, blah. And so I did, I had a backpack that I carried around and it had, the funny thing, it didn't have a lot of like real stuff that <laughs> good for like daily life. I, I had pictures in there, like pictures from magazines that I would, I go to Walmart and I'd take pictures out of magazines and uh, like people that I looked up to like Nirvana and the Red Hot Chili Peppers or whoever it was, you know, like musicians and I, and I keep that. And, and I had a couple of, from my childhood that, you know, like there was a couple of sweet moments that I kept those. And so basically I went from there just living at different people's on couches and somebody had a closet that was open. And so I'd go and stay in their closet and for a few days. And what I started to realize is I could stay as long as I had drugs, like the people I was staying with. And when the drugs ran out, I was like, oh, you probably need to go. And I was like, okay. I started feeling like even more used, even more worthless. Um, and that all kind of accumulated just going for three or four years. I was just living wherever I could. Um, there was an IHOP that was 24 hours. The the cook and the um, the head chef and everything, they, they would let me sleep in one of the booths until like the main manager came and then they would feed me pancakes and that kind of stuff. You know, that there were like random people around the universe who were kind of taking care of me. Um, but then, you know, I'd sleep behind the IHOP and stuff like that. And, um, and then finally, you know, like I was like, well, I probably should, you know, it's been like about a year and a half. I was like, I should probably go home and go get some stuff, whatever, maybe like make amends or anything like that. <laughs> when I get home, everything in the house, the house is still there. Everything in the house was gone. I was like, nothing was in there. I was like, what in the world is this? And so there, there's a box and on the box, my mom had wrote Timmy's shit. And it was just a box full of all my stuff. And I was just like, and I saw my, my mom's best friends in there and they were move, helping move stuff out. And I was like, where, where are my parents at? Where's mom and Jerry? And uh, they said, well, they moved to Linden. I was like, what is Linden? It's like, it's a town like an hour and a half from where we were. It's like, it's like they left a box for you. Uh, should I tell them you came by? And I was like, no, 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 tell them I came by. And so I took everything that was in that box and I had an old school vintage suitcase. And I took that, I put it all in that little suitcase. It wasn't much, you know, just a couple of clothes and that kind of thing. Um, and then I just, I kept roaming. And so for the next four, three or four years, I roamed homeless, slept on couches, went from here all around East Texas, ended up in Arkansas at a hippie commune for like a few weeks went to Kansas and lived in a soy farm. Just a bunch of like random, like, you know, I call that the shuffle. I was just like shuffling around. Um, yeah, so that, that was base, the, the base part of my childhood until, uh, is this okay? This, yeah, dude, keep, just keep, yeah, let go, okay. let it flow, yeah. Okay, so um, in 1999, um, everyone thought, you know, when the clock switched over to 2000, the world was yep. gonna end, you know, and. All of my buddies were like, oh, yeah, man, we got to have an end of the world party, man. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, we're probably right. And it's like, well, if we have the end of the world party, it, it's going to mess us. You know, it's going to it's we're not going to get to finish it because the end of the world is going to happen. We should have it like two days before the end of the world. And so, you know, we thought we were smart. Yeah. And, and, and East Texas parties, they either happen like in really, really nice homes or out in a field, like in a cow field or something. And that's where we were. We were out in a field. Um, and I never... I never drank alcohol. I would always see people drinking and see them throwing up. And that's one of my least favorite things. Like, I just don't want to be sick at my stomach. And, but this night, uh, it was like the first, first or second night of the party. I had been doing speed. People were handing pills out, like just random stuff. Like, we don't care. We're just taking everything. And so I had taken pills. Um, I was drinking different alcoholic stuff. I had, I don't know anything that I was, putting in my body. I was just like, it doesn't matter. 
smoking like nonstop, you know, like every two hours we'd smoke another joint, had mushrooms, acid, everything that you could think of. And a cops, the cops finally came to the field and busted the party and everyone's running each different direction. And luckily I got in a car with a, with some random dude and I got away and I went back to the apartment that I was staying with, which is crazy. The guy that I was living with this time, I had known him since I was a kid but he was not on like the the drug end of my childhood. Um, he was, him and his mom and my mom were best friends like when we were young. And he, you know, stayed straight and narrow, went to school, went to college and all that. And he was actually working for the police department. He was working for the 911. It's like, oh, this is funny. I'm doing all these drugs. And this guy's like, comes home from the police department every single day. But I got to his, I got to the that home um, probably around nine or 10. And I just remember like, oh, I'm about to black out. And sure enough, like all of the medicine, all the pills, all the drugs kind of caught up to me. And I started just overdosing, like I was convulsing. And that's kind of what, kind of the last I remember uh, until like I started waking up. I remember waking up and seeing my buddy like cleaning me off. Like I had thrown up on myself. He's either cleaning me off. And he assumed that I had like a flu or something like that. He didn't even really know the intense, the, the intensity of the drugs that I did. So I was full on overdosing and he had a little bit of a medical background too, like EMS type stuff. So he knew how to kind of take care of me, but he still, I don't really, I don't honestly don't know if he knew at the time that I was overdosing, but he knew that I was in a bad place. And I just remember waking up and thinking, man, like it was like one of the first realizations of this is not just harming me. Like I'm affecting the people around me. Like this dude is cleaning puke off of me. And it's, it was like one of the like most low feelings. Like, and I couldn't do anything about it because I was just weak. At that point, I was probably 90 pounds, 15 years old. And just sunk, my face was sunken in everything. It's just like, and I was just thinking, man, like this is, this sucks. I, I don't like this. And I kept having these visions of, I don't know who it was, if it was God or the universe or, or just my own, like inside of my heart telling me there's something better for you. There's something, there's, this is not the life for you. There's something better for you. And I kept thinking, like contradicting that. It's like, no way, man, I just let me die. Like, I just want to like this to be over. I don't want to wake up like again and see that. And it kept happening. It kept happening. Like this was all throughout about three days. And I was in and out of consciousness in those three days, just laying in bed, dude was taking care of me. And, uh, and finally, like I succumbed to that feeling. I said, okay, I didn't say it out loud, but I said it in my mind. I said, if I survive this, I will try to not do drugs and try to find something else to fill this void that I have. <clears throat> and that, you know, that, that was the, the kind of like defining factor. I, I woke up and still felt horrible, but like I was functioning, I was able to walk and that kind of like go around my day and, <laughs> And that's the week after that happened is when I met um, who is now my wife now. And, and she, it was like right after New Year's, you know, and so she had a New Year's resolution to stop drinking alcohol. Like she was like a binge drinker. And so we were both at a party, like right down the street, like her, her roommate was hosting this party. And so, and she had, we had met very, very briefly at the mall uh, right before New Year's. And so we kind of knew each other. <clears throat> I knew her little, I knew her roommate's little sister. And so we all, we all kind of grew up in the same town and kind of knew each other, but didn't. And so that night, me and her were the only sober people at this party. And so we just started talking. I was like, yeah, my mom tried to kill me when I was a kid. She's like, and she's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, you know, like, like everyone's mom does. Right. And I was like, no, that that's not normal. Um, and I was like, she's like, I would have been grounded if I did the stuff you did. I said, like, what is grounded? And she's like, we mean, what is grounded? Like, you can't leave the house. Like, oh, nurse. No, like no one would tell me not to leave the house. And so that, in that moment, I started realizing like, oh, okay, maybe I knew it was kind of weird, but maybe my childhood was way weirder than I thought it was. So that was, like I say, when I met my wife or my future wife and, uh, started going from there. Tim, thank you so much for just sharing and being open with that entire story. And seriously, man, and I feel so urged and compelled. Just to tell you, man, like I love you. Oh man, thank you. I love you of too. Of course, man. Like that is um, 
it's just, it's, it's, that's a wild story because, and, and the fact too, because I think about like my childhood, right? And I think that was the normal childhood. And it's like, wherever you come from, you kind of just assume that's how everyone else is raised. And it was interesting at the end for you to, you know, be talking to your now wife and be like, okay, wow, that's not normal. That wasn't how yeah. things w- were done in, in other places. So it's just wild um, to learn about other people and understand where they come from. And it's just like such a good example of in life, really not judging anybody ever, um, really having love for everybody because we have no idea where anybody came from, what challenges they went through, how they grew up, what sort of environment uh, that they were in. And um, damn, Tim, I, uh, I didn't know much about your story. I knew like just little Mm -hmm. bits. Um, and I'm just, I'm blown away and I wow. am just so appreciative and grateful for who you are right now. Wow. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. After, you know, having those experiences growing up, you know, for you just to not have stayed on that path. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard thing, man. Cause like I say, I have three brothers and all three of my brothers went a complete you know, they stayed in that hurt and they stayed in that direction. And I mean, it took me years. I was married eight years before I even dealt with any of that stuff from my past. My, my coping mechanism, the other one was to make jokes. Like I was dark humor. You make jokes about suicide and all the, and, and mental illness because it hurts so bad that you can't fully say it. And, and then I started like thinking my, my wife's like, why, why are you joking about that? That's is, you know, like, and she kind of got me down to my core, and I was like, "Oh, wait, okay, okay." And then I was like, "I was like, let me let me throw that pass that off." And there were even things in my childhood that I never told my wife. Like I was sexually abused when I was like three or four years old, you know. And that was one of those so like to me, it was like just I'm not telling anybody that that's embarrassing, you know. Like that, no one needs to know that. Um, and you know, like now you know me. I have a I have a son who's he's 19 now, and uh, he's special needs. He's autistic, nonverbal. Um, and my my main thing with him is I I never want him to doubt that he's loved, cared for, seen, heard. He may not have a a, a voice that other people understand, but me and my wife understand non-verbally everything that he's trying to communicate for the most part. And when we don't, we try and try and try to, to understand that. Um, but becoming a father after not having one and not having anything to role model after, like, dude, that was one of the scariest things. Like, like it was, it was great. And so, so scary at the same time, like, Oh yeah, I can teach my son how to play guitar. Like, all the things that I wanted in a father and now I can get to do to my, with my son and, Get, get to play Super Mario with him and <clears throat> all these things, you know, like it's just fun stuff that, that I actually loved from my childhood, you know, like watch skateboard videos and stuff. Like I, you know, like in, introduced him all these things, but then at the same time, it's like all of those feelings of worthlessness from my past of, of being told I was worthless and told I was ugly and, and stupid and all this stuff that took effect. And I was like, wait, I'm not, I don't think I'm like qualified to be a father. Like there's, so even during my wife's pregnancy, I'm like, I'm not qualified to do this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, me, I am. It's, it's, it was a battle. And then when we found out that, you know, there's complications at my wife's birth and my son came out and he wasn't crying, you know, like his, there's an APGAR score and he, his was the absolute lowest. And instead of him coming to our arms, you know, right after he was born, he was rushed to the ICU um, had a halo over his head. And I was just like, wait a minute, like what's, and my wife was like very, very, very near death as well. So she was being cared for. So I'm just here in the hospital room, like, what do I do? What do I do? And, and yeah, so that was just one of those, like, uh, okay, how do I be a father in this? How, like, I don't know how to be a father, nonetheless know how to be a special needs father. Um, so my son stayed in the hospital for a few weeks uh, in the Dallas NICU and I would travel back and forth. My wife stayed up there with him and I would travel back and forth. It's like two hours from here. Um, and every, I remember every drive thinking like, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then like, it was a battle back and forth. Yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, mm-hmm. I can. Um, and it's just, it's just like those, those things like of the, the lies from your past can 
will always creep up on you if you don't deal with them. And like I said, it took me like eight years, like dealing with trying to be a father. Um, I got lucky with my wife. My wife is like the biggest empath and the biggest like, she's like so compassion. Like she is the word compassion. And so like I learned how to be a father by watching her be a mom, like change the diaper like this. Okay, cool. Burp them like this. Okay, cool. And so like, I, I, I don't, she says that I don't do, do typical dad things. I don't know what that is. I mean, I still make dad jokes, you know, like <laughs> whatever, but, but yeah, she's, she says like, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a di- kind of different kind of relationship that we have. And I love that. Uh, but like going back to what I said, like being abused as a kid, like I had never dealt with that. Um, and, and that's one of my biggest fears with Odin, not just, not the, just him being mistreated because, he can't say like, Hey, you know, this dude, but then now I've gotten ways where I, he, he can tell me his intuition and stuff now, but that was one of the fears in the beginning, him not being able to fully speak. And so I started having, I think it was like eight years after we married, I started having these nightmares uh, of the stuff that had happened to me. And as a kid, like that, I didn't tell anybody about. And it just, I would wake up and just be like, so pissed off. and like, Man, like, and then like it, it was affecting like how I was fathering is affecting how I was being a husband, not in me being abusive or anything, but me just being not fully mm-hmm. there and like not fully loving the way I should. And uh, the boiling point for that, it came like after probably two weeks of me having these dreams and I had come home from work and uh, my wife said, hey, you know, do you want a ham sandwich or do you want a turkey sandwich? And I was like, oh, I'll take a turkey sandwich, you know, cool. And, and I was still like kind of battling these thoughts in my head. And <clears throat> and then she walked out and she had a ham sandwich. And I was like, whoa, she made a ham sandwich. I even want So I said, turkey sandwich. That's, man, I bet she's doing that just to make me mad. She's probably just, she's doing that to piss me off. And this was like an, an immaculate sandwich, dude. It was like, you know, <laughs> Primo, primo cheese, primo meats, you know, the, the, the croissant bread. And I was just like, but I just got so angry at it. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, I'm not eating this sandwich. You made it out of hatred. And then like, I kind of pushed it away and I walked out the door and she's like, uh, and then our friend was here. She's like, what? And so I'm, I got in my truck and I was like, oh, if she wants me to leave. I'll just leave. I'm never coming back. And I'm driving my truck, you know, just crying. Mm-hmm. I, I go about 10 miles don't know where I'm going. It's just all emotion or whatever. And I go, whoa, I like my, my regular stuff came back to me and I was like, what am I doing? She made me this like badass sandwich. And I'm like, okay, what? And so I was like, tears coming down. I was like, okay. She had texted me and called me so many times. She's like, we need to talk. I was like, yeah, we do. I got home and I was like, here's the deal. I'm having these nightmares. I, I It hurts really bad to talk about. It has nothing to do with you or Odin. It's fully me, but I was too embarrassed. And she's like, that's okay. Like, I, 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 that, I love you. And she said, have you ever tried writing these things out? Like the things you can't speak that are too hard to speak. I was like, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. I hate writing. You know, I, I quit school when I was 13. I don't want to do any schoolwork. It's like, how about I, I'll go to counseling. And that's another thing too. Counseling was a negative thing growing up. Cause anytime a counselor came over, it mean like they were evaluating my mom to whether, see if she's mentally stable to take care of us or if she needs to go to the institution for a few months or a few weeks. And so I was like, very, very against that because I, that was the main, I never wanted to be come like my mom. I never wanted, you know, like that was a fear. I didn't want to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, the, with that, you know, I said, I go to counseling. I get to my very first session and I was, you know, telling my counselor the kind of the same things. And he said, uh, have you ever tried writing this stuff down? The stuff that's too hard. I was like, man, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like my, my, my wife just told me to do that. And so I was like, okay. And, and so with that, that, is what started the healing process for me is writing it down. I realized I'm very, a very visual person. Like I can hear all the words in my head jumbled up, but when I see them, I was like, Oh, okay. This makes sense. And I, I, I went through probably two months of this and then, and then my wife read, I was like, you can read these if you want. And she read one. She's like, wow, like, you're, you're like a good writer. I was like, 
you sound surprised. He's like, well, yes, I'm surprised. You're a seventh grade education. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, it's like this, you should put this out. You, you should, this to be a book. And I was like, no, mm. no one needs to read any of this stuff. And so that was, that was around 2008 when I started doing all that. And her, a lot of my friends who've become family, um, just a ton of people encouraged me to keep writing and put put it into a form a book format. And I was just like, I can't write a book, man. Like, there's no way. And there's like, you already have the content; it's here. Just put it out. And and so that started a whole process, you know, like of writing all this stuff down. And and really was it was like when I was seeing this stuff, the more that I spoke the darkness or wrote the darkness and read it out loud, I was like yeah, I'm bringing more light into the world than this darkness. And so this, this is what happened. Other people, like all of us humans are so close and so connected in so many ways. Like there's so many parts of my story that will will and do connect with other people who feel just as lost and lonely as I did in that. And so that's kind of where that process came from. Yes, man. And you sharing what your experiences were uh, and how difficult that was right? It lets other people out there know who are experiencing something even somewhat similar that they're not alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like that connection to another person I feel like is, is so important and to know, and who knows, like maybe they're going through what you're going, what you went through now. Right. And they can say, yeah. okay, now look at Tim, like, holy, like look where he's gotten to that at least gives me inspiration and hope. Like hope is so important too, yeah. right? Hope to be like, okay, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Like there is somewhere I can go from here that isn't here. Like this reality doesn't yes. need to stay like this forever. And vulnerability is such a beautiful thing when we can just share and put ourselves yeah. out there. We have no idea the impact that can have and how many people that can really help who are going through similar things like us who feel like they're all alone and all they want is someone yeah. else to be like, wow, okay, someone else is experiencing or experienced something similar to me and I'm just not alone in this. Because like none of us want to feel alone. We all just want a little yeah, bit exactly. of, right? A little bit of connection, something with someone yeah. else to be like, okay, all right, this isn't just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that, all of that too, man. It, that translated so much into like the, when we were quarantining and all that because like feeling... I think when that first, all of that stuff first started, I felt like the least like connected to anything. I was just like, oh my gosh, I was just so anxious. And like, I think when you realize like the entire world, like that, that's where I kept put myself, put it into perspective. The entire world is feeling these same feelings in a, in one way or the other, because it's happening globally. And it's like that, what there was, it was like, weirdly a relief that we were all struggling. Like it was like, oh yeah, that connection. Really? It is. It's just like, okay. <laughs> It's, it's, it's the whole idea of not being alone. Because when we feel alone, yes. we do. It just, oh my ugh, right? It's so hard. And just a little bit of compassion for some, from somebody else. Or just a little bit of like, really that understanding that this isn't just happening to me. Because when we don't know it happened to someone else, we think it's just happening to us. Yes. Right? And our situation is just totally unique and its own. And like, in a way it is. But just even those little strips, those little bits where it can be like, okay, wow, that happened to Tim. That's like happening to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And man, I appreciate you so much putting yourself out there, right? Because yeah. it's hard to be vulnerable sometimes. It, yeah. it really can be. And when you're doing it for like the betterment of other people to serve other people and to help other people, that is just like another level of just being a good human being uh, in my mind. <laughs> And yeah. it's interesting, man. I was thinking about the the ham sandwich story. <laughs> that um, that the, there's a couple of things in there, right? So, like right off the bat, it's like it just shows that we create our own reality. Exactly. Right. Like your wife wasn't trying to do anything malicious. She was just there trying to mm -hmm. be nice to her husband. But it's like because you were just in a low place because of what you were going through, which had nothing to do with her whatsoever. Yeah you created that experience in yourself and her being malicious or her doing it on purpose, her not wanting you there. But it's so cool, 10, 10 15, 20 minutes later, you created a new experience. You created a new reality yeah. for yourself, realizing that, okay. And kudos to you, man, for getting there that quickly and realizing that your actions um, weren't 
weren't helping that situation and maybe weren't aligned, obviously, with how she was actually being. And the fact, yeah, dude, yeah, Tim, that you were able to come right back home <laughs> and just be open about it too and be like, all right, babe, like this is what's happening to me right now. Because that's one of the bigger, biggest problems too. Like when we hold those things in, because mm-hmm. right, if you held that in, you didn't explain anything to her, she'd be like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. Right. And just by being transparent and not keeping it in, being more vulnerable and just being, all right, this is what's going on. I've been having these nightmares because of this. It's like, that's when we can just understand each other a little bit more, right? And she just got a a perspective shift of where you were coming from and then how much better that made everything. Yeah, for sure, man. That's that's the thing with us too now. It's like we we take walks like pretty much every night together and then our night walks, it it was even more intense. My wife worked um, before all this quarantine, so she worked at a nonprofit uh, that helped, it was an anti-sex trafficking nonprofit. So it was very, very a heavy job. Um, and then I just had a lot of, I was still dealing with family stuff. Now I'm not, but, um, you know, after she'd come home, come home from work, we'd take our walks and each one of us would be able to like, just talk stuff out. Like we'd have like an hour long walk where we were both just talking, learning about each other still. We've been married 20, almost 21 years. And that's the thing, you still learn from each other every single day. There's still stuff to learn from each other every single day if you open up and listen. And that's and that's how like I feel like love grows is like you you learn to love new parts and new, like, oh, that's a cool idea. I, and then it's like, that's another cool part of you. Like, And your brain is always growing with new ideas and you get to love new things every single day. And so I love the communication. Yeah, being vulnerable and communicating with each other as I never did as a kid. And now it's like, that was one of the hardest thing is like speaking and like, I was like, oh, I don't want to let it out. But now it's like, there's so much relief in that, you yeah. know? And do you, do you feel like writing it out that at least started to open up that door for you? You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the, the, the crazy, one of the craziest parts about writing in my book was I, the, the situation that I was telling you about that, being sexually abused that I'd never told anybody. That was one of the hardest parts to write out. You know, like I, I wanted to write it and give it justice to, to get all of the hurts and all the pains up. And with me, you know, like I, I don't, I have, I may be a good writer, but like, as far as like punctuation, all that stuff, I don't know any of that. Um, but I have a friend and she's like, she, that's what she was doing for me. She was a, a my editor. And I showed my wife, I was like, Hey, like, what are all these red marks? He's like, oh, it's probably just mistakes and like punctuation. It's like, no, I don't think so. It's on the entire page. She goes, oh my God, your editor's going to have like a lot of issues. Like, but it's good. It's good. It's good. It's like, she's going to have her work cut out for her. It's like, okay, okay. But anyway, so like I, after writing that first, writing it down the first time I sat on it, it's like, I don't want anybody to read this yet. I need to like, just let it breathe for a second. And then about a week later, I sent it to the editor and, uh, she didn't respond. And, and that kind of like freaked me out because she didn't respond. I was like, oh, maybe it was too. And then finally she's like, well, I didn't want to tell you, but I think the file's corrupted. It's just a bunch of like wing dings and all this stuff. It's like, oh my gosh. And I opened it and it was corrupted. And like, I didn't save it anywhere. I was like, I have to write this again. I was like, all right, I can do it. I can do it. And so I, I sat, did a completely isolate alone both times. And the second time I, I did it, and I did the same thing. I was like, I'm going to, okay, I saved it twice. It's, it's good. I need to send it off. And so when I, I sent it off the second time, I got a message back saying like, I'm really, really sorry, but this file isn't opening. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like it opened on my computer. And then as, as soon as she said it didn't open, I went up, when I tried to open it, it was not opening for me either. It's like, I have to write this a third time. And so that, that time I was just like, all right. I did it and it was the weirdest thing, like the healing process on that one. It was just like, oh, I don't like, I'm done with this. Like I, I can write this, I can say this, I can let other people read it and I, I'm okay with this. And I realized like the first part, the first time I did it was just to get it out. And the second time was me dealing with it. And then the third time writing it was me healing from it. And it's just like, whoa, like universe knew like I needed, yeah. you know, like, okay, all right. But it was, it was, and that's cool because like that part of my life is very, <clears throat> I feel like it's more common than not with men. And with men, usually it's very, um, 
they don't talk about it. Cause I, I, we did do a book tour and we spoke at so many different places and every single time after we spoke, I've had like at least one male come up to me like, man, I've been struggling <clears throat> with telling somebody that for 50 years. Like I have had that same burden for 50 years and now you having the courage to say it in front of all these people gives me the courage to, to get it off my chest. And I don't need that. That's been, that's a, you're like a grown ass man. Like I, and I felt like I, you know, like I still felt like I don't, I'm not worthy of this. Emma. It's like to like be like someone listening to me. And it's like, we all have advice to give. We all have advice to learn from, you know, from other people. And that's why the world is so beautiful. We can always learn and give knowledge back and forth. It's reciprocal love. And I, I think that's one of the greatest things. Absolutely, man. And you are so worthy, oh, man. you know, I mean, we, we all are, and I know we doubt ourselves and, you know, sometimes we'll just, we'll think low and we'll think lack and we'll think, well, what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? But it's like, literally our uniqueness is our beauty. Yes. Right. And our perspective of the world is literally unlike anyone else's perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so <laughs> much power in that. And again, when you're able to share things that you went through and give people the courage and the hope that they can share those things too. Like that guy, he's for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. I was just like, uh, I got home. I was like, <laughs> cry. Like, okay. All right. I guess we're doing the right thing. You know, like we'd go to some events and there'd be like a hundred people and they would go to like even more events where there's probably two or three people. And it's just like, you know, like I'm going to pour my heart mm -hmm. out the same exact way if there's a thousand people or if there's two people. And there were literally were like, 15 gigs that we did on this tour with two people there. And I was like, Nope, I'm not, I'm not half-assing it. I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm giving it my all because that's what we should do. And it's like, and even those were even sometimes even more special than like the bigger events, you know? I'm sure. Like, Cause who knows, maybe like those three people needed it more than the 200 people yeah. and you actually can have a bigger impact on them yeah. than you did on like the larger crowds. Yeah. And that's the thing too. You never know what, where your impact ends. Yeah. Like I call it the ripple effect, even like something as simple as some, you smiling at somebody like they smile at somebody else and then whatever, it's just like, it ripples. And like, I, I truly believe that love ripples like in, and you make waves the more you put out. So. Absolutely. And Tim, I just, you know, I keep thinking about your story um, as you grew up. Do you feel like, was it your wife? Was that like the, the love and the opening and the path that helped you, oh. right, go on, go on this way? Oh, for sure, for sure. And even when people like are reading my book, they're like, because I, they, they I didn't realize I was doing this, but I write it from the perspective. I, I got my, I take my mind back to wherever I was. And it's like, yeah, that as soon as you met your wife, like that, that part, like it felt like just a full on love story at the, after that, you know, it's like, there was still like heartache and like pain, but the, the love <clears throat> was like very, very defined right there in that moment. <clears throat> and I think the main thing, like I said, my wife is, she's an empath and like compassion. She was hearing my stories and listening and like really caring. And I was like, you care? Mm. Like I, I, nobody had ever really cared. You know, like I, my mom never hugged me and that kind of thing. Like people didn't like, I'm sure like my mom wanted to care, but the mental illness was keeping her from that. But like no one truly made me feel loved. Um, and she did just by listening. I was just like, whoa, like that's powerful. And it's that stuck with me too, is like how well she listened and like was truly like taking it in and caring. Like I, I was like, I want to be that for other people when I am able to, I want to be a listening ear. And so like, I've, I've always took that with me. Like I want to listen to, and that's sometimes the biggest thing is listening to other people and like hearing them like when they need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I definitely needed to be heard and she was listening and, and we started to be, it was reciprocal love with her but she actually had a boyfriend at the time, you know, like she, like she wasn't anywhere interested in me, like in that way. And I was, it was like truly just kindness and, and love and, you know, and being an empath to me. Um, but was it long after that her boyfriend broke up with her because she was hanging out with me way too much or whatever. He lived in uh, a different college town, like three hours away, all this, but we got together 
the day uh actually on my birthday is when like we first started kind of like liking each other and then by march we were a couple and then by march the next year we were married so in 2001 we were married and the funny thing about her boyfriend is he lives in Dallas. We record music with him. He has his own family. Like we're all friends and we get to joke about like how funny that little time yeah. was. And you know, it's, yeah, it's a cool little like turnaround. <laughs> it's like everything worked out as it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, You know what I mean? Yes. And I think about that story too, with how you met your wife and like tracking it backwards. It's like you guys met at that party because you were like both sober. Right. And that's yeah. why you guys were chatting. And that sobriety for you came from you overdosing. Yeah. Right. So to be like, there's just, there's literally gifts everywhere, right? Because sure. if you didn't overdose that time, maybe you don't uh, stay sober at that party. Maybe you don't meet your wife. Maybe you don't feel that love and compassion yeah. and empathy that you needed in <clears throat> order to heal yourself to get you to where you are right now. Oh, I'm, I wake up grateful like every single day. Like I, I, I used to go on Facebook. I don't really go on Facebook that often anymore. It's just cause you know, it's Facebook yeah. and like people would just kind of be mean, but I, I would kind of like check up, you know, you could check up on people. And I was like, I wonder what, like the people that I grew up with, what they're up to. And <clears throat> I think out of the 20 people that I checked, only one person was still either alive or not in prison. Like every single one of my friends had overdosed or had uh, drug charges all in prison. Even my family, like my mom went to prison. I think the year, it was the year Odin was born. She went to prison for because you know, she still had the mental illness, she ended up harming some other kids that she was babysitting and went and made like national news and all this. And so she went to prison. My brothers went to prison. They kept that hurt, yeah. that pain. And then they 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 took that and, and turned it into a negative thing and and were abusive to other people. And so they, you know, are paying for that with prison time. That's why I I don't I don't. Have, I tried my best to, to love and have a connection with like my, my blood family, um, but it was just it was just so toxic that I. You know, it was like thirty. You know, I was thirty three or thirty four years old when I finally like just like okay, I need to mourn this like a, a full loss, um, and I, I did. I, I mourned my my birth mom like I like this like she passed. It hurt. Cause there was a lot of beautiful things about my mom, you know, like there, no one is fully bad. And I, I truly believe that my mom, she gave me like this really cool sense of music. Like she went to Woodstock. She had all these cool pictures like Jimi Hendrix and like, she saw the Beatles and like, she introduced me to like some really fun, beautiful music and like her humor. When she was funny, she was really, really funny. And like, I feel like she, she gave me that. <clears throat> um, so I, I mourned those moments, you know, um, <clears throat> but knew it was for the best. And through that, through my life, I've gained different mom figures, like people who've taken me in or whatever that are still in my life. Like I have a, a mom figure that's literally two blocks away from here and I can go over there anytime, get my, get a hug, you know, and it's like, I have a California mom that I go see once a year and I have brothers and sisters all over the world. Like New Zealand, wherever, you know, like they're, they are my family. And I, so I don't feel like I'm lacking in any of that just because I mourned the loss of my birth family. Yep. And uh, you know, you, there's the idea that we have to protect ourselves, right? And you, you were in that environment for years and years and years. And the fact that you say, okay, like that did not serve me. That was not good for me at all. I need to find like peace in my life. And it's like, Sometimes we do. We have to remove ourselves for the betterment of who we are. Yeah. Um, and Tim, I wanted to ask you too. So I, I remember before when you were talking about Odin, yeah, which yeah. I thought was just so powerful. You said, I never, and I, I am having, uh, um, my wife is pregnant uh, for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Rad, rad. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, I think about what you said before in myself in raising my, um, raising my child. And you said, you never want Odin to, for a moment, think that he's not loved or worthy. Um, yeah. And I, I want to ask you, where does that come from in you? So I, knowing how deep that hurt of not being loved and not feeling loved um, and how long it took me to, to gain worth, I don't want him to have to go through all of that. I want him to automatically know that he is love. He, 
is my joy. He is the reason that, you know, that I'm so inspired every single day. Like Odin, and and I, I thought maybe, oh, it's just because I'm his, his parent, but I really truly believe that he is something special because anyone who's around Odin is like, whoa, like, and they, they want to like gain some joy from him. Like he is a joy bringer. Um, and I, and I think too, like he was, has been so looked over by just different people in our, in the, just the community, like, and, you know, in the world in general, like when someone sees someone who's nonverbal, autistic or whatever, you, you kind of assume that they don't know what's going on. And even me as a father, I've failed at that. I know I've failed at that. <clears throat> um, I remember him being around six or seven and it was when he was fully nonverbal. Um, and I, and my friends came over to tell us that they were engaged <clears throat> and I was, you know, I, I, uh, I was like, you know what? Like Odin's here. Like, why am I not like he? I'm just like feeling like I'm I'm leaving him out of the conversation. It's like, hey, Odin, like Jesse and Weston are getting married. You know, it's a it's a big deal. And he he goes up to me, starts clapping in front of them. I was like, I'm such a fool. Like, why have I kept him? Like, like you know, like you just. And so from there, like one of that was one of like the turning points. Like you're involved in every single conversation, and now that he's a he's a teenager, like in. Uh, he graduated in 2020, like during the pandemic and all that. And he, I posted that picture and I usually never post pictures of Odin. I used to like, you know, purposely do, I had an Instagram that, that grew and people were just so rude and I, and it just stole my joy, you know, like them saying like different mean things, whatever. And so I just stopped using that Instagram. It's still up there, but I barely, barely use it. And so like I started, when I started my new one, it was all private at first and everything. But anyway, all that to say, like, I asked Odin, I said, hey, Odin, this is a cool picture. It was him and his buddy, like, side by side. <clears throat> like, this is a pretty cool, right? Like, you and Jordan. He's like, yeah, yeah. And like, and I, me and my wife, we understand his language way, you know, obviously. And I was like, I said, should we post this? Is it okay to post this? He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, he was, like, doing his thing or whatever. And so we posted that. And I just, my gut just went down. Like, when I saw the next day, it had, like, a hundred something thousand upvotes. I was like, highest I've ever been upvoted on Reddit was probably like three votes. So I don't even know what all that stuff means. And I was like, that means a lot of people saw this. And I saw this comment section. I was like, I was just, my stomach sank. I just knew there's going to be like hateful comments and all this. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then I started reading them. I was like, wait, that's nice. Oh, that's nice too. Oh, what? And I started crying because like, no, people hadn't been that kind to Odin his entire life. Like we have a, a, a good core of people who are in his life that do feed love and life into him. But even like going to churches here, we've gone to churches and asked, they've asked us to go into this special room. And it's like, you know, a room like, it's like, oh, this is for all the crying babies. Like Odin's not crying. He's making noise. Like he's enjoying what you guys are singing and what you guys are talking about. Like, that's not, no, that's not. Okay. And just we in restaurants, you know, you get mean looks and all this stuff. And so we're accust more accustomed to the rudeness than the kindness. And so when I was started reading those things and I started reading them to Odin. So we usually have a routine where we, we take Odin, like we lay with Odin, we read him a story, uh, say prayers and praise, and then sing a song to him. And he falls asleep. So when he went viral on the internet, we were reading all these kind comments and he was just like, this pride, like he's like, Ooh, like, just like so stoked on it. And I was like, man, like think about like a teenager, like being on the internet, like, of course he's like loving this. Like, and then like for 18 years being looked over and like now he's being recognized and people are seeing like the joy and the beauty is like, it isn't just us. Like you are a special man. Like you are like, you're a very special dude and these people are seeing it. And he's since then, like his his vocabulary has started growing. Like he's he's got like this new like pride. He's been making more music. It's like, all right, okay, I see you, I see you, Odin. <laughs> Is it was it the picture of him and his buddy? Um, the, there was like one picture when they were like young, and then the other picture. When yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good one. <laughs> yeah. And yes, people, thank you for being kind and loving. Like the fact that you're that mm. you're more used to the rudeness as opposed to the love is like what? Wow. You know yeah. what I mean? That's like a little disheartening, obviously, but, um, just amazing. Again, you were vulnerable. You put yourself and him out there and look at all of the love that you, that yeah. you guys received. Uh, uh, it, it's, 
Yeah, it sparked so many like really cool opportunities for him. Like, you know, we ended up meeting Tony Hawk and doing like uh, so, like a song with him and Odin. And then Tony like really loved it. It's just, like all these cool things. Like that was one of my childhood heroes, you know, yeah. it's like now like he's just he's just a buddy. He calls me up like we went to Salt Lake City together a couple of weeks ago. It's like, <laughs> OK, me. Yeah. And like, look what happens. Like, and that's the thing, too, when we can choose love instead of fear. Right. Yes. When we can step oh, into yeah. the unknown, because I say this all the time, like in the unknown, there's infinite possibilities. And listen, yeah. I, I'm not going to try to pretend what it's like <clears throat> to be you as a father in that situation and say how I would act. Like would I post a picture? I don't know. I'm not even trying to, to go there. It's just the fact that you did choose love in that moment. You chose mm -hmm. to be vulnerable. You chose yeah. to put yourself out there. And then again, look what happened. Because if you had held back and if you guys had chose fear to be like, you know, we're fearful, we've had all these negative, mean people be rude and and just be unkind. Mm. And living in that realm, you guys would have stayed where you were. But taking that step and taking that step in love, Dude. look what, how much it's Here, opened up. Yeah. Talking about that, even, even deeper than that, like uh, added on to that we were so fearful of graduation, like, cause he's doing an at home school. Like he hadn't even been in a building since, you know, probably Jan February of that, of 2020. I had been even been inside a building. And uh, I was like, I didn't graduate. It's not that big a deal. We don't need to take him to graduation. And then my wife's like, yeah, okay. And then, so his friend's parents were the same way. Like we're not taking Jordan into any building. We're, uh -uh, no, we're not doing that. And there was a fear, that fear was coming yeah. in. And then I was laying down that night and it was probably like 1230 at night. Odin just wakes up and I hear him in the other room. His room's right across the hall from us. And he's just laughing like so hard. And I was just like, whoa. And like, I felt this joy that I had not felt in this, this peace came over me. Like it just like washed all the fears. And I was like, my brain felt like just like, oh, graduation is a big deal, especially for Odin. Like he, they said he wouldn't survive, you know, like, even living. So like he, he's going to walk the stage tomorrow. Yes. We need to take him to graduation. And so that fear, I woke up the next day and I, I called his friend's mom. I said, Hey, we're actually going to go to graduation. She's like, that's so funny. We were just about to call you. We were so scared. And, and we, and we thought about going to graduation too. And so when we got there, when we were taking that picture, no, none of the others, there's only like five students graduating. And uh, Jordan's dad came and was, Hey man, uh, and he sh had the, had his phone. He showed me the, the old school picture. And he's like, "We should do another one real quick, whatever." He's like, "Odin, y'all want to do another one?" And so they were like laughing about it. So they got we took the shot and three. There's three pictures. My wife just took three pictures, and then we just looked at him. We didn't even look at him until after graduation. She's like, "Oh my god, look, it's exactly the same." So all of that was like you said, like overcoming fear, like the fear of going into a building, and now it's like it really has sparked so, so much just from that one moment. Like it's beautiful. So Wow. So cool. <laughs> I did not think we were going to peel another layer back and that be, you know, the cause of, uh, yeah, cause in that moment, I'm sure it was tough, you know, to make that decision. And it's really such a beautiful thing when love and joy can just take us over and yeah. the fear just washes away. Like we know we'll be so cool. cool. This is a beautiful moment yeah. for him. Um, and I wanted to ask you this as well too. So I think it was on the site or somewhere I saw, but you said that, let me see. Yes. Okay. You give love to Odin, uh, that you never knew until you met him. Oh yeah. Yeah. So can you just talk a little bit just, uh, about that and that love and you know, where that comes from and. Yeah. It's like, I, like I love my wife, you know, obviously, and and that love is great and it's, it's grand. But then, like meeting Odin and knowing that he's a product of me and my wife, like all of our insides, all of our spirit, our soul, like all of that, mm. like combined in this like beautiful human. And it's just like, man, there's so much going on in there. And it's just, it's such a, it changes you, man. Like I, 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 I'm so excited for you because of who you like, just by knowing like a little bit of who you are and like, dude, you're going to kill it as a father. And it's like, I, I love, I love good fathers. I don't know a lot of them, you know, like there's a few people that I know who are just incredible, but yeah, that, that love that you get from your child 
if you're doing it right, it's hard. It is. It's hard. Sometimes you're like, oh, just so tired or whatever. But it's it's one of the most rewarding things to invest your time into the love that you give your kid. And then like, it's reciprocal. Like it really is. Like it comes back. There's so many times like, man, like, and people are like, oh, your life is hard. Cause you have special needs. Like, dude, like my life's not any harder than anybody else's. Like we, you choose how you react to situations. You know, it's like, it's like my 19 year old son wants to snuggle with me and my wife and watch Disney movies. It's like, that's pretty stinking cool, man. It's like, what, what, what do you know about that? Like, it's cool. Yeah, totally. And that's, we, yeah, keep going. Oh, yeah, I was just saying, and like, you know, getting to make music, like that was, you know, like thinking like, oh, I want to teach him how to play guitar and all this. And and then with him being special needs, it's like, or even if it wasn't special needs, he may not want to play guitar. You know, like that's that's my thing. It's like what, I I can put my love and all that, whatever, but he has his own taste, his own whatever. And, and kind of learning that <clears throat> and then like realizing he does love music and he has, he makes it in his own way. Like how can we incorporate the way that he loves to make music into way, what we do? And then when he sees that, he respects that so much that he just like, we're now just a family band. We have like an album coming out and it's like, he enjoys hearing his pieces of the puzzle put together. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's a beautiful little trio. Sounds so awesome. And it's so true. It's like, is something better than the other? Is something harder or easier? It's like, it's all what we make it. Yeah. That's what it is because you guys do have beautiful experiences that another father may not be able to experience with their son. You know what I mean? It's just different. Oh, yeah. and then I love this too. Oh, what, what do the shirts say? Um, different is good. Different is good. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Different is good. Yeah. It's just as simple as that. It's very simple, very easy. It's like anybody can, can take that. And it's like, Oh yeah, different is good. Like it applies to so many things. It's like, it's yeah. so good. Different is so good. <laughs> um, and Tim, the, the question that I'll, I'll ask that I ask everybody um, on the podcast is so I feel like you're so in line with this, which is great. And um, the goal of my life is to help shift the collective consciousness of the planet uh, to be in a place that's just more loving and open and forgiving and kind and uh, empathetic. Um, one that's just more understanding and accepting of each other. And one that just understands more of our connection and our oneness. Um, just in my mind, just a beautiful place of consciousness that if we all adopted how drastically different the world we live in would be. Um, so what do you feel like you are doing uh, daily uh, that aids and helps in this overall uh, shift of consciousness? I think trying my best not to waste energy um, with anything that's not pure in love. Like, you know, like, like I said, the more kindness you bring to the world, it does ripple. It does affect other people. So I spent way too many of my years being bitter and being upset. And it's like, I'm letting other people steal my joy if I do that. You know, like my, my thing is just like another thing, listening, being kind, loving people as honestly and vulnerably as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that's all that we really need. We're all we are all human. We're all connected in in so many ways. We all have the same emotions, whatever. And like you said, we want to feel connected. Like help someone feel connected today or whatever. It's as simple as that. Just make someone feel worthy, make someone feel loved, make someone feel special in the simplest of ways, whatever that is. Like, and just always strive to do that. Find the beauty. Like even during quarantine, that's what my main goal was. I was me trying to find the beauty because I started to let that, those anxious moments kind of creep in and like make my shoulders go up. You know, I was like, oh, okay, what am I doing? That's why I got my, even like a simple, simple for me is I got my camera out and I was filming little bits of joy like whenever I felt that joy I was filming it and like um my thing is like if someone if you like what you're doing and you think it's beautiful at least one other person will too so share it with someone you know and so that's kind of like share the beautiful moments share your vulnerability with others let others feel connected to you you and the world so good love that man <laughs> that is so awesome it's like when we can 
just be kinder to ourselves, be kinder to others, be vulnerable, share our truth and share who we are. That leads to connection, that leads to more love. It's just, and I love it too, man, because it's like, in my mind, it's not this huge thing. It is like the quote unquote little things. Yeah, it is. Right? It is just those little moments because those little moments aren't little when they're stacked on each other over and over and over again when they happen an infinite amount of times because there's so many people in this world and you can do, you know, a hundred of them in a day. It just, they're, they're, when you think about it solely, it's like, well, what is this one thing going to do? It's like that one thing, like you said before too, has that ripple effect and will continue to move outward and outward. And then take that one thing, multiply it by a million or more. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then boom, like that's really how things can, can really start to shift. And it really starts with in each and every single one of us. It's not anything on the outside. Yeah. We're all capable. We all are, have access to the same love and kindness. It's, it's there. Yeah. It's just reach for it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like all that stuff is already within us. It already exists. We just have to allow it. Like we are pure, true love. That is who we are. Our souls yes. are being, that's where we're love. So it's not anything we have to go search for or look for. It's just right here. We just have to connect to it more and just release it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 100%. (laughs) And Tim, just before we, uh, we cut out, if you can let people know just where they can find you guys online, on social media, uh, where people can get the book. Yeah. So everything is connected to all things frost. That's our last name, uh, which came from my wife. Like that was her last name. And so her father actually, after 10 years of getting to know me, let gave me the last name frost. And so I have frost, she has frost and Odin has frost and it's, we have something connects. So all things frost.com. Uh, our Instagram is all things frost. I think we have a Twitter. That's the same thing. All things frost. So just all things for us. Love it. So good. Tim, man, I had just, I have so much love for you. Um, oh man. Reciprocal. Same. Dude, just for, for living the life that you, you lived, sharing your story and just being so open about it and just the strength of who you are to have, oh, thank you, of man. course, man, you know, to have come from that upbringing to just the joy-filled, loving, kind, compassionate, beautiful person you are. Wow. Yeah, you. of course. It's like that is that is a monstrous journey. And I just couldn't be happier for you. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be more grateful for who you are and, and just the life that you're yeah. living right now. So thank you for inspiring so many people. Um, oh, yeah. Dude, and just being who you are, man, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Of course, buddy. And everybody, thank you uh, for being here so much. We have so much love for you uh, and we will see you next time.